Now turn your Bibles to James chapter 4. This is one of those lessons that as we dive into it, uh, I'm hoping that I can say we don't need this one. <laughs> but I suspect we need to be challenged with it. And to remind ourselves, uh, I've entitled the lesson with the question that James asked, uh, and this is at the end of verse 12, who are you to judge your neighbor? So today's lesson is going to be from James 4, verses 11 and 12. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in on judgment on There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? My suspicion is that through our lifetime, we've seen a whole lot of judging going on. Not only that, but we can think back our own life we probably participated in it more than we should have. Okay? So, and you, who are you to judge another? What a great question. We're going to let that guide our thoughts. James starts off by saying that judging is sort of the basis of slander. He says, my brother, do not slander one another. This is interesting because it's one of the few negative one another's. There's a ton of one another's in the New Testament. Some people have described Christianity as a one another religion. And that's a good description. Uh, if, if you haven't done this before, uh, take out a concordance or a Bible dictionary, find all of those one another passages in the New Testament and write them down on a sheet of paper and just remind yourself periodically, I am part of this one another community and here's what I need to be aware of a passage is like love one another, serve one another, submit to one another. I mean, it just goes on and on. There are a few negative ones. Here's one. Don't slander one another. Okay, well, why is that? Slander probably more quickly than anything can destroy fellowship. It can destroy trust and respect, slander and speaking against a person can destroy their reputation. And if you're involved in it, you become or you have a reputation of being one who passes on words that destroy people. So all the way around, it's not good. So James situates it within slander. And the idea of slandering means to judge another person, detracting from their reputation by malice of speech directed against one's neighbor. Uh, Nancy and I love to watch shows that have courtroom scenes in them. And, and I'm often intrigued how many courtroom scenes someone's being sued for slander. It comes up a lot. So somebody will say something that maybe they had no basis for saying, or they will say something that seeks to destroy somebody's name or business. And as a result, it ends up in court. Listen to what Proverbs said, Proverbs 10, 18. There's actually two verses in Proverbs on slander. 
Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. Uh, it's interesting in wisdom literature, um, the person named fool pops up a lot. <laughs> and, and I think in the ancient world, the opposite of one who is wise was considered a fool. Uh, and, and think about what that would include. Uh, a fool is one who doesn't think about what they do. Uh, a fool is one who tries to take advantage of other people or who thinks they can get by with something. It, it, it's interesting if you go through Psalms and Proverbs uh, and, and the other Old Testament passages, just by the way the word fool is used, you can come up with a, with a fascinating description of who that person is. But he says it's a fool. Proverbs 13, 10. Do not slander a servant to their master, or they will curse you and you'll pay for it. That's kind of the boomerang effect. If you think you're going to slander somebody and get by with it, watch out. It's going to come back to bite you. So when we start talking about this, it's a matter of the heart. That's the problem. Jesus says in Matthew 15, 19, and this is where you may remember um, the Pharisees were so upset that he wasn't keeping all of the rules and regulations. And Jesus says, wait a minute, you're missing the matter of the heart. And then in 15, 19, he says this, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and he ends up with slander. That's in that list. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, and it's slander. The Hollywood tabloids contain all kinds of stories of slander, as well as movie plots that are being built around a person being slandered. So here's the practical question. For, for us here in Harriman and every congregation of Christians, are we involved in slander? Uh, do we recognize it in ourselves when we start getting caught up in it? Um, and what do you do with it? Well, it goes back to the heart. Slander is a tool of Satan to destroy the fellowship of God's people. Then he goes on to say, not only is judging wrapped up and based on slander, but also if you judge others, you're actually judging the law. And here's why. James makes an interesting argument here. You may remember earlier that he has defined the second commandment as the royal law. What is the royal law? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the royal law. And actually, and we need to think about this. Too often, I think we castigate the Old Testament law. But really, all the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. That's what Jesus says. Uh, though they had a whole lot more requirements. Uh, but even in the old law, there was, it was based on love. James 2.8. Remember, earlier in chapter 2 of James, he, did, he had sort of opened up this topic. And now he's developing it here in chapter four, but he says, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbors yourself, you're doing right. There's nothing wrong with loving your neighbors yourself. 
That's what's right. James is very clear here. If we judge and we speak against someone else, we're breaking the second commandment of Jesus, where you're supposed to love a neighbor as ourselves. And judging has to do with motives. We don't know why a person does a certain thing unless they tell us. We don't know what's in their heart. We can only guess. And most of the time, we're wrong. Have you ever figured that out? When you try to guess why somebody's doing something, and then they come out and tell you why you did it. Like, oh boy, why missed that one, didn't I? Saying things against others and slandering is always based on judging another person's motives. James identifies God as the lawgiver and judge. This does not negate his divine love. Some people think that it might. But God, as lawgiver and judge, in fact, can only be appreciated out of his divine love for humanity. God made the law so he alone can judge when it's broken. We did not and we do not make laws for others. We need to hear that often. It's not up to me to judge another person's motive. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 7. And this is a passage that I think we all know really well. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged with the measure you use. It will be measured to you. Uh, What's made me aware for the years with this particular verse is sometimes with the yardstick we're measuring other people with, we don't even measure up. (laughs) So it's like, my goodness, the hypocrisy of it. I don't even measure up what I'm trying to use on other people. And then listen to how Jesus ends this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that's sticking out of your eye? <laughs> I mean, it's a hilarious, exaggerated illustration. You have a speck in your eye. Get it out. Well, you've got a plank sticking out of yours. That's how the thing that always amazes me at that little illustration. That's how obvious it is to other people. Okay. If you're trying to pick the speck out of somebody else's eye, you've got a big plank sticking out of yours. Psalm 9, verse 19. Arise, Lord, do not let mortals triumph. Let the nations be judged in your presence. God is the one who judges. God even judges the nations. This is a whole, well, this, this is a whole different lesson we can take off on. We need to remember that the world is in God's hands. And even though nations and leaders of nations, even as in the Old Testament, but even today, when they don't follow God's will and they abuse people and you know just all kinds of horrible things as leaders, God is the one who's going to judge those. Uh, it's a hard lesson for us to hear this but it's not up to us always to make things right, because sometimes we can't. We cannot step in and change things, but we can pray that God can step in and be the judge. Then he goes on to ask the question, judging, who are we to do it? Well, what a great question. Who are we to do it? Who do we think we are, God? That's what James is getting at. So if God is the only lawgiver and judge, who do you think you are? 
you're certainly not in that role. Uh, this is such a hard lesson for us because we get caught up without knowing and judging other people's motives so easily. We'll say things like, well, so-and-so did that because, and we don't know that. <laughs> we just say it. And sometimes uh, the further down the line the person is not on our friendship list, sometimes the stronger we'll pronounce the because, but we know even less. And it's really terrible. We, as Christians, see, here's the fascinating thing. When we became a Christian, we gave up the world of judging. And, and as Christians, we need to hear that more. When we became a Christian, we gave up even the desire to judge other people's motives. Because that's not what we're about. God alone has the power to save and destroy. This is an admission that when we think we're playing God, we're trying to exercise sovereign power over others, which, of course, we don't have that power. Pretty arrogant. When I was growing up, I heard this phrase, and I don't know if you heard this either, being too big for your riches. <laughs> Do you ever hear that growing up? So-and-so is too big for their riches. Well, if we start putting ourselves in God's place, guess what? We're being too big for our riches. Well, James is emphasizing the fact that we have no business playing God and judging others. So when we come to Jesus and we embrace that converting power of the gospel through the cross and the spirit of God living in us, we give up all claims to judging others. It's just off the table. Is it a struggle for us? It sure is. Um, there's a temptation for us, and, and, and we don't have to raise hand and confess, but there's a temptation for all of us to sometimes say the thing we shouldn't about somebody else, uh, to judge their motives, why they're doing something, and we didn't even take the time to ask them. Always a temptation there. And, and, and we have to ask God, God, please. There's a, there's a psalm that always intrigues me. Lord, uh, help me put, um, or it's sort of like close the door on my lips and help me be aware of what I'm about to say. We just have to be so careful. And it, it's amazing to me, we live in a world where words make, make a difference. And that may we need to say something about that a little bit. But it goes all the way back to the creation. And as Christians, of all people on the face of the earth, we need to be the ones who appreciate the power of the spoken word. In Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was left form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the darkness. And then it says, and God said, let there be light. It's amazing to me of all the ways that God could have started creation, the way it's recorded in Genesis 1, God spoke and there was light. So from the very beginning of time, the power of the spoken word goes directly to the heart of God. And we who are Christians of all people on the face of the earth, we should understand the power of the spoken word. You don't just throw words out, you know, recklessly. 
or thinking you say whatever you want and something will come back to you. We appreciate the power of the spoken word. And let's end the lesson with this strong statement. I, I love this. I may have to repeat it twice, but it really hit me. All judging is to be replaced with the royal law. That's what James is saying. All judging is to be replaced with the royal law. It's not my place to judge someone's relationship with God. Now, one of the things that we didn't have time to say, holding people accountable is not the same thing as judging. And we need to hear that. So much of the New Testament letters are holding God's people accountable, okay? But in none of the letters do the New Testament writers try to judge people's motives and misread them. They're going by what they know God's will is and what they're seeing, and they're calling people to accountability. And that's perfectly defined. That's what we need to do in our fellowship with one another. So this morning, this is a power, you know, of the two verses in James, it kind of goes back to chapter three, doesn't it, with the tongue. But this is pretty powerful because it makes us look inside of ourselves and ask the question, am I thinking and saying something about somebody I should? Am I taking God's place in judgment when I shouldn't? It's not my place. Well, this morning for our invitation hymn, <clears throat> turn to number 88, the gospel is for all. Uh, let me tie it, the lesson to the to the title of our song, the word gospel means good news. Guess what? Do you know what part of the good news is? Through the power of God and the Spirit and the risen Lord, I don't have to live a life of judgment. Boy, is that good news. <laughs> that takes off of my shoulders trying to figure out why everybody's saying and doing everything. It's not up to me to do that. You talk about a freedom, but it surely is a blessing.